Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I felt this morning that I wanted to um, speak about Job. Uh, I don't know how many of you ever read the book of Job. Anyone ever gone into the book of Job? But it's, uh, it's in the Old Testament, and it's uh, just left of Psalms. So it's uh, just on this side, of the left-hand side of Psalms. But I always think that when you are where we are, we're in a privileged position because we are in the New Testament times, and we can look back. And when we look back, we have a bit more understanding than I think they did uh, when they were writing and experiencing some of the things they were going through. And quite often the Old Testament looks forward to our times, but it has like little glimpses. Uh, It's almost like the curtain every now and then is drawn back and they see glimpses of the future. But we're in that position where we can look back and get a fuller understanding of what was going on. And in Job, in chapter 1, it says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he was like your, um, I was going to say Donald Trump, but (laughs) probably not a good analogy. But he, in wealth terms, he was like the Bloomberg you know, Bloomberg is worth $60 billion, Donald Trump's worth $3 billion. I think this Job was worth, he was just like an incredibly wealthy man. Uh, he was upright and he was blameless. And in the Old Testament, uh, they have, uh, there's, there's, a bit, there's a big connection in the Old Testament between obedience and blessing. So if you, uh, in the Old Testament times, if you were obedient, you would expect to be blessed. And if you were disobedient, you would not expect to be blessed. So Job was an obedient man. It says he was blameless, he was perfect, and he was obviously blessed. He was a very wealthy man, he had a big family. All the signs of Old Testament blessing were there. And I guess for me, the book of Job, it it asks three fundamental questions. One is, why does a righteous man suffer? So why do bad things happen to good people? So when we're doing good things, why does that happen? Why does God even allow that to happen to us? And thirdly, where is God when we're suffering? Have you ever had a situation where things have gone a bit wrong in your life, you've lost um, your job or you've lost your health or, and you, you think, where is God in that situation? And I think it's a natural question to ask. And this is a question that Job clearly is going to be asking as he goes, uh, as we go through the book. He's asking, you know, why am I a righteous man? Why, why am I suffering? Because I'm obedient, so why am I suffering? Where are you, God? And so if you read the book, it's full of poetry and it's full of Job crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? I don't understand where you are. Why, why? It's almost like, God, you're hiding yourself from me. God, you've imprisoned me. But I think the bigger question from the book, and I think this is what the question the book really wants to ask, is what is our response when things go wrong? So what is our response? So what is Job's response going to be when things go wrong? And it's interesting that uh, in verse 9 of chapter 1, Satan who appears in chapter 1 and chapter 2, says, does Job fear God for nothing? So in other words, uh, Satan's saying, well, Job, he's got it all, so when things go wrong, will he still maintain his integrity and his trust in God? 
I don't think that's the question for us. Is when things go wrong, when our prayers are not answered, where things don't go the way we think they should go, when God isn't doing what we want him to do for, in our lives, what, what is our response in that situation? So that's a question for us this morning. What is our response in those situations? So what happens is that in the book of Job, um, he loses his wealth. So all those donkeys and camels and, you know, he lost them all. He lost his servants. He lost his family. So his whole family were killed. There was like a, an incredible, um, I can't remember what it was now. It was a firestorm from heaven and the, the, the house was burnt up and all, all the family went. So he lost that. But it says in Job 1.22, in all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with wrong. And then he loses his health. And if you read his, the story of his health, he's got boils. Uh, he's, he's to the point where he's literally scraping himself. Do you know when you've got an irritation on the skin and you just want to rub it off? <laughs> um, that's what Job was like. And he was like in sackcloth and ashes. He was in dust. But then in, in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So Job maintains his integrity before God. So he doesn't curse God. Uh, so in Job 3.1, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth, and he cursed the day of his birth. So he doesn't curse God, but he curses the day he was born. Have you ever had that in your life where you think, oh, I wish I'd never been born, you know, because things are so bad. It's like, oh, it's, it's depressing, it's dark. Um, and I'm not making light of that at all. We, we hear of things in the press of, you know, Caroline Flack last week, who took her own life. And clearly, you know, you get to that stage where she wished that she'd never been born. That's what it means to take your life. And Job was in that place where he was saying, I wished I'd never been born. And Job 16, verse 1 he replies to his comforters. Do you remember in the book, there's, there's three comforters. There's Bildad, uh, there's uh, Eliphaz, and there's the other one. Um, what's his name? Um, Eliphaz and, where are we, Bildad, and Zophar, yeah. So Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz. So he's got three comforters who come along and comfort him. And, and we know if you read the book that basically... They say a lot of good stuff about God, but actually it's not particularly helpful. Have you ever had that when things have gone wrong in your life and a Christian, a well-meaning person comes along and they say something that's quite true, but it's not particularly helpful? You know, like it will all, you know, light comes in the morning after the dark and God will work all things for good. But at the moment you're really, you know, struggling and, and, and people are well-meaning and these comforters were well-meaning and they said all the right things, but... They just misapplied it to Job. And so he replies to his comforters, I've heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. Um, will, will your long-winded speeches never end? <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you say that to people when they try to comfort you, but sometimes we think that, don't we? <laughs> Won't you just give me a break? Um, you know, so Job, uh, he doesn't curse God, but he clearly... It curses the day he was born. He's struggling with uh, their theologizing. And for them, what they were saying is that the reason, Job, you're in this situation is because you're a sinner. As simple as that. I mean, you go through all these chapters. There's loads of chapters of these comforters comforting Job. But the bottom line of what they're saying is, look, Job, if you were obedient, you wouldn't be in this situation, basically. 
It's that simple. That's what they were saying to him. And Job really gets a sense that actually it's, there's something more complex going on, isn't there? Because Job was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. And yet he was being destroyed. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'd lost my home, my family, my health, um, I'd feel like I'm being destroyed. I would actually question where's God in my life. Wouldn't you? And Job was saying, God, you know, where are you? Uh, I feel cursed. I feel under a curse. And to some extent, I think he felt under a curse. So Job realizes that there's something a bit more complex going on uh, behind the scenes. So let me just talk you through some of those things. One is in chapter 1 and chapter 2, they have this person called, he's actually called the Satan. So that's in the original Hebrew. He's, he's not called the devil. He's actually called the Satan. So it says that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it says, it says this, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to the Satan, Where have you come from? And the Satan answered the Lord, From roaming the earth and going to and fro in it. So, you know, the devil, the Satan, he, his role is to roam the earth and to go to and fro in it. And we know from Scripture that when he was cast down from heaven, that his role is to go and disturb and to cause trouble basically, and to roam, and he's looking around for trouble. And so he's roaming around, and so in the book of Job, we, in the New Testament, we get a bigger picture of it, don't we, because we understand a bit more about the devil. But Job, I don't think, has any idea of what's going on. I don't think he has any concept of the devil. Uh, the writer has a concept here of the Satan coming in, but there's no, there's no real understanding of, in Job that the devil's involved, because most of his discussion with God is, where are you, God? What's going on, God? There's no sense of, of the devil. But we're told, we're giving an insight into this book, that there's something in this that makes it less straightforward than just being, I'm obedient, therefore I get blessed. There's a devil involved. Secondly, there's testing. And in Job 1.8, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And so Satan then goes after Job and God puts parameters he says look you can you can take his wealth but you can't take his life you can take his family but you can't take his life you can take his health but you can't take his life so God puts parameters so God allows testing to happen and if you're a Christian if you've been a Christian for any length of time you will know that you get tested don't you there's testing goes on and Job in 7 verse 17 says what is man that you make much of him that you give him so much attention that you examine him every morning and test him every moment. So Job, Job's asking this question, Lord, why are you testing me? Now again, in the New Testament, we can look back and say, well, the reason for testing is because it makes us stronger, doesn't it? Uh, it says that in the New Testament, it, it builds our character. And God is doing something in us. He's making us more, more like Jesus. But also, there's something else that I think that is in Job that we... Uh, need to think about as well and I think it's called mystery um, and I was brought up as a Roman Catholic and uh, I don't know how many of you had any experience of the Roman Catholic Church but I went to, to Roman Catholic Church, went to Christian Brothers School, I was um, even an altar boy and one of the things I remember vividly about the Roman Catholic Church was that whenever I asked a question that was very difficult like where does God come from and you know, where does, when they say, well, God's always been, they say, well, yeah, but where does God come from? Uh, quite often the response would be, well, it's a mystery. You know, it's a mystery. We don't understand. There's some things you just don't understand. And to some extent, as an evangelical, 
as I've become through as I became a Christian over 25 years ago, we want to actually have answers, don't we? We want to be able to say, well, we know who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. We want to have certainty. But I actually think there is a place for mystery in our faith. There is a place for that mystery. And I'm not saying we answer every question. Well, if we don't know the answer, it's a mystery. Because I think the Bible you know, says, look, let's look at the Bible. Let's try to get some answers. But I think there is a place for mystery. And what I mean by mystery is that there are things that we just don't know. There are things that we just don't know. There are things we just don't understand. And so in Job, Job touches upon this. In Job 9, verse 4, he says, His wisdom is profound, his power vast. In 9.10, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. So things beyond our understanding. And in 23, verse 13, he does whatever he pleases. So that is beyond me. God says in Isaiah, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, my thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways. If I could understand everything, I would be God, and I am not God. So we have to understand that there's going to be an element of stuff that we just don't get. And I think Job wasn't quite getting this, bizarrely. He was touching into it, but Job wanted to tie it all down. He wanted to say, God, why, 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 what's going on here? But actually, there's an element of stuff that we'll just never know. And Job had to come to that. Just shifting forward a bit into the New Testament, I said at the beginning that we're in a privileged position because when you're in the New Testament, you look back and you actually have a more of an understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament. You understand it a bit more because we have, as we've heard this morning, we have Jesus. And Jesus has come and Jesus has uh, given us fresh life. And Jesus gives us understanding. When Jesus came, he said, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, we see... Uh, the devil. So in Job, the devil is mentioned as the Satan, but there's not much more than the fact that he comes and his role is to disturb and to destroy and to disrupt. But in the New Testament, we're given a fuller understanding of the devil. And it starts with the ministry of Jesus. Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil, isn't he, for 40 days and 40 nights. And we see the devil uh, is given a greater place in the New Testament. Our understanding of him is greater. So in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, The devil roams around seeking whom he may destroy. That's very reminiscent of Job, isn't it? The, the devil is roaming around the earth seeking to destroy. And that, for us, should make us feel a bit sober, that, that, that there's a devil out there who is against us. So it's not just about our decisions in life. It's not just about time and chance happens to all. You know, we can get caught in a storm, just like people have, unfortunately, been caught in a storm. But there is actually a spiritual battle going on as well, isn't there? Ephesians talks about we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual powers in the heavenly places. But actually, the good news is that, as we've seen this morning, is that Jesus destroys the works of the devil on the cross. That's good news. So the devil isn't to be feared, uh, but we need to recognize that we have an adversary who seeks to destroy us. And in James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, that should be encouraging, that if, if the devil is attempting us, accusing us, causing us to doubt, trying to oppress us, dis uh, disturb us, it says if we resist him, he will flee from us. That should encourage us that we can do that. Secondly, in the New Testament, it develops the idea of testing further. So James 1.12, it says, Blessed it is the man 
who perseveres under trial because he has stood the test. He received the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And Job catches some of this because in Job, as he's going through his conversations with God and he's trying to work it out, and I would encourage us also when we're going through difficult times to have that conversation with God uh, because as we do that, things come out. He says this, but he knows the way I take and when he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. So Job, Job, even though he's trying to work it all out, there's a bit of hope there, isn't there, that this test will come to, it, to an end. He will be vindicated. He will come forth as gold. So if you're going through a testing time, there's hope because you will come forth as gold. There will be uh, something better on the other side as we come through that. And the third thing that comes through uh, the New Testament is this whole idea of mystery and wisdom. There's, there's, James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will receive. So if we lack wisdom, we're told we're encouraged to ask God. But Romans 11.33, there's a, what is known as a doxology. It's a hymn of praise that Paul offers up. And he says, oh, the depths of the wisdom and, and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or being his counselor? And there's a, there's a tension there, isn't there? There's a, there's a tension there because on one level we're to ask God for wisdom, and that's right, and God will give us wisdom in situations. But actually we're coming to a God who has so much wisdom, is so far beyond us that um, there's, that, there's that gap and there's that contradiction. G.K. Chesterton said that in the Christian life, the Christian life is full of paradoxes, that you have truth, um, truth at both ends of a stick. So on one end of the stick, God says, I can heal you. The other end of the stick, I don't get healed. <laughs> and that's the truth. Um, so not everybody gets healed. So it's the truth you don't get healed all the time, but it's the truth that God actually can heal and does heal. So you hold that tension, don't you? And it's the truth that God is good, but at the same time, there's evil things going on in the world. It's a fact. So, so there's, there's a tension. And there's a tension there that God is saying, I want you to ask for wisdom. But at the same time, um, there's things that you're just not going to know and get. And so Job has to come to that realization. And I think for us, as we try to grow in our relationship with God, maybe it's coming to that place of saying, you know, we're not going to have all the answers. We're not going to have the certainty about everything. We have to hold things in tension. Life is full of those, those uh, tensions. So, where do we go? Well, at the end of Job, and I really encourage you, if you haven't read this book, or if you haven't read it for a while, to read it again. It's full of wonderful poetry, wonderful theology. Um, but the conclusion is interesting, because in chapter 38, after all Job's discourses and uh, talking to God and the comforters been talking. Job's big mistake is he is trying to say, God, why are you not doing stuff? Basically, God, you're the one that's in the wrong. That's the bottom line. He's saying, God, you're unjust, really, because you're treating me really badly. And in chapter 38, God says to Job, he says, well, let me ask you some questions now. In other words, let me put you on trial. Let me put you in the dock, Job, and let me ask you some questions. Job's been putting God under trial and saying, God, you know, answer my questions. Now God's saying to Job, I'm going to put you on, under trial. I want you to ask me some questions now. 
And I want you to tell me, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I spread out the stars and in the sky? And of course, Job, there's about four chapters of this, God speaking to Job, saying, come on, you know, if you know everything, where were you? And finally, we get to chapter 42, and Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? This is the bit. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? That we all want to play God. And actually God's saying to us, you know, there are things that we just won't get or understand. There's that mystery. There's that gap between our wisdom and God's wisdom. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you and now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job gets to the end of uh, his uh, story by actually saying, I'm going to let God be God. My response to this is I'm going to put my trust in God. I don't know all the answers, uh, but I'm going to put my trust in God. And I guess that's for us is the Christian life too. When we are going through difficult times, it's about putting our trust in God. The New Testament says that we don't walk by sight, uh, we walk by faith. Now, most of us want to walk by the things we see, but actually faith takes us into a different dimension, doesn't it? Faith is the things that we don't see. Um, So it's looking upwards and asking God, you know, what are you doing? And trusting in God, just like Job, he comes to this place where he says, I'm going to put my trust in you. I don't need to know all the answers, but I'm going to put my trust in you. And finally, we come to the bit that was mentioned before in the, in fact, we sang sang the song, and we mentioned this before in the communion, which is about, therefore we come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because ultimately, there are things that we will just not understand. We can ask God for wisdom, and God will give us wisdom. God, you know, we all get answered prayers. But there'll be times where we just don't know what God is up to, why we're suffering, why things are going wrong. But actually, what God encourages us to do in the New Testament is because of what Jesus did, is to come boldly to the throne of grace. Not so that we have all the answers but that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So not that we get all the answers, but that we have the PhD in suffering, but that actually we get mercy. We get mercy and grace to help in time of need. And that's what I want to finish on that note. And I just want to pray for us this morning, that as we've come here this morning, um, I don't know what's going on in people's lives and hearts, but maybe, you know, Most of us will struggle at some time, whether it's emotionally or mentally or psychologically or physically. You may have family members that are struggling. And, you know, we've kind of sometimes run out of steam, don't we? We we run out of steam. We, you know, run out of answers. Um, But actually, I think the message to me of Job is that, um, you know, we don't need to have all the answers, but we just need to know that that God is there. I am with you. And that, for me, kind of sums it up. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find help and mercy in time of need. So I just want to pray for us this morning. And so I'm going to ask us just to pray along. I'm just going to pray this for us this morning. If that's you, please receive that. Um, I'm, I'm going to be around afterwards. I will be around outside, but I'm going to stay around at the front afterwards if you would like prayer. I'm very happy to pray 
personally with you. Uh, I'm sure Don and others will too, but I'm very happy to pray with you. So, Father, we just want to thank you that you are God. And, Father, we come before you uh, in humility and say, God, you are God and we are uh, your creations. And, Father, you know all things. Uh, We do want wisdom, Lord. We thank you that you do give wisdom. But, Father, we come to you this morning. We pray. I want to pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that where we're struggling with things in our lives, where we perhaps come to the end of uh, our resources, come to the end of our answers and questions even. Father, I want to pray that we would find mercy. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that your throne is one of mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we have uh, uh, just unending mercy coming from you. Thank you for that, Lord. And also uh, that grace that comes from you, that grace that is... Uh, unfathomable it's just deep it just goes on for eternity and father we come to you today and we want mercy we want grace uh, to help in time of need it's that simple we come boldly to the throne of grace because of what jesus did on the cross because he died for us he shed his blood for us that we have forgiveness through jesus and father we thank you that he rose from the dead that there is resurrection power available to us as we come to the throne of grace. We pray, Lord, this morning, pray over every single person in this place this morning that we would know your grace, your mercy, your help, and that resurrection power in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org dot uk